Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Defenders of Grace. Merry Christmas, everyone. Podcast going off just a few days before Christmas, and I'm glad to be here with my longtime friend, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. This turns out to be our Christmas edition. We're, we're going to call it The Birth of Christ in You. The Birth of Christ in You is our miracle that we thank Jesus for his birth at, at the manger and this time the birth of Christ in you when you are born again. The indescribable gift of God. Yep. Like Paul said, I'm in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you. Wow. Giving the image of Jesus being born in you as a baby is it's pretty cool. Not making up that out of my imagination. It comes from the Bible. Christ in us, the hope of glory. glory. Amen. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we'd do a podcast about the need for Christ to be born in us. And at the same time, just maybe starting off covering just the passages that say we're no longer under the law as a springboard to speaking about Christ in us, the hope of glory. We just want to make sure you guys know that when we say we're not under the law anymore, it's because of certain Bible verses. Bill, can you think of any verses? I was thinking of one, I think it's Romans 10. 10, 4 and following. Yeah, is that Christ is the end of the law? Christ is the end of the law for the believers. It kind of says that again in Romans 7, 1 through 6, that the we died to the law through Christ so that we could bear fruit for God. And it said because the law was arousing sinful passions within us and they were waging war inside of us and dominating us and making us a prisoner when we were under the law, but it said we died to the law and we're now free to be vessels for Christ to use. And that's how we bear fruit. That's what Jesus said. Abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. And that's what Romans 7, 5 and 6 is taking off on. Just exactly what Jesus said about bearing fruit. So, yeah, that verse was, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe or really trust in him as our righteousness. Amen. Amen. There, there's another one, Romans uh, 6.14. For sin shall not be master over you because you are not under law, but under grace. But under grace. And that one's the... The, the one that is the, the dividing line between law and grace. 
that's where they draw the line and, and say, which side of this line are you on? Are you under the law or are you under grace? And the scripture comes down on the side of being under grace. And the one you mentioned in Romans 7. Yes. I'm going to start in verse 1. Okay. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over a person as long as he lives? So that puts up a barrier right there, Steve. As long as he's alive. (laughs) If he's dead, it doesn't put up any barrier at all. And in God's eyes, we die. Don't you know? All of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Romans 6, 2 and 3. Yeah. And therefore we died with him through baptism into death. So in God's eyes, we did die to the law. All things you have to take by faith, because you you definitely don't see yourself... You say, I'm right here. I'm here right now. It's the 20th century, and I'm here. But you're right, Bill. These are eternal doctrines that you accept by faith. Eternal doctrines are all unseen truths, truths about unseen things that we as Christians have to believe what is written on the page of the Bible. And when it says you have been baptized into Christ's death, therefore you have died with Christ, that's an eternal doctrine that we didn't see any of that happening. It's just reported that a man died on a cross, but in God's eyes, he saw the whole world die with that one man that we saw die on the cross, and we accept the fact that everybody else died with him by faith. And by faith, we have a, a calmer mind, our faith that is more precious than gold and silver, the faith in this good news that we paid our sin debt can be so valuable when we've had a bad day. Just believing in the magnitude of the miracle that Christ pulled off can help us from feeling so condemned and scared of God. It can help us when we're feeling scared of God. But it also, just knowing that you died to the law, doesn't the rest of that verse say so that we can bear fruit for God? It does. Or do you not know, brethren, that I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over a person only as long as he lives? And he gives an example that unfortunately has become the divorce doctrine of the church. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, he is released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress so that she might be joined to another man. Who is the man we're joined to? Jesus, Jesus. And here comes the kicker. Read the kicker. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through 
the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, him who was raised from dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For God. See, it gives the analogy of, of a woman's not free from her husband unless he dies, but when, once he dies, she's free from him. And then it puts that analogy square on us and says, you died because of what Christ did in that way. Now you can bear fruit, it says, because if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do it through you, which is the new covenant way of life that Paul taught everywhere in every church. This is my way of life that I teach everywhere in every church, a way of life in Christ Jesus. So if we're living our life in Christ Jesus, aka by the Spirit, we are bearing fruit for God. And he brings this up in 7 after describing something in chapter 6 after adding on something in chapter 5. But chapter 5 is the famous hyper-grace that people go to and warn about it. It's saying, well, well, if we're not under law, are you saying we can sin all we want? Not realizing that the new covenant could not go into effect. As Jesus said, do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. I tell you, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass away until all is complete. Well, Jesus completed every aspect of the law and it was finished and he died. So I'm going to start off in Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? That's in response to what people would say. Mm -hmm. Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? Or are we under the law? And he had just got done saying that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. He gave the law to mark transgressions. And even though he marked all those transgressions, he gave us grace for each one we would break in order that he could die and pay the penalty for everyone's sin. And then you might be thinking, well, if grace increases, should we continue the sin? And he says, may anoia, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live it, it any longer? Or do you not know? And this is something I never knew. Let me read it. That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Doesn't it say that in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ? Yes, and it says it right there in Galatians 7. That was the premise for us getting into the new covenant. He said you died to the law after he gave that analogy. That so, is your release from the law, death. Your release from the law is death. So we're no longer under the law. And the question is, well, what then? What then? What, what are we doing? Well, we are living out the new covenant. You see, he took the old covenant, which was the law, and did away with it. We'll look at Hebrews. He didn't just do away with it. He fulfilled it. And did away with and it. And did away with it. Yes. 
Yes. So we'll look at Hebrews. Okay, let me give you the chapter and verse that we'll start off on so you can be there with us out there in, in guard dog land. Out in the pound. Out in the pound. Out in the pound. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6. And if Bill doesn't mind, I'm going to let him read it because because of my eyes. I'm going to read in Hebrews 8, starting in verse 6. But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been acted on better promises. So this new covenant is more excellent than the old, better promises. They were the promises of God in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. He promised some beautiful things. It was cool. We won't go there, but we'll allude to it in a few minutes because actually, to tell the truth, this Hebrews passage goes over Ezekiel and, and the promises. They are better because the old one was, if you do this, I promise I will do that. That's the way the two-party covenant worked. If your performance reaches a certain level, I will bless you. But if it doesn't, and it never did, I won't bless you. I'll actually curse you. Well, that's what the next verse says in verse 7. Yes. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Okay, so that first covenant, this one of the Ten Commandment mentalities where I grit my teeth and try and obey those Ten Commandments for God so that he'll be pleased in me, it it had a fault. It just said that. So it's the two-party covenant that God said, if you do this, I will do my part. And it says it wasn't faultless. So let's get to the fault. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Don't fix what ain't broken. But finding fault with the people or us. God found fault with the covenant because we couldn't keep it. We were the weak link and we could not keep the covenant. It was too much pressure for us. We crumbled under the weight of that covenant. So God mercifully changed the covenant. He gave us a new covenant and that is what we as Christians today in the 20th century need to realize he, he made a new covenant with us. Why are we still so hung up on the old covenant? He made a new one with us by which his spirit in us would take care of us. That's what Paul meant when he said, this is my way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. So the people couldn't keep the law and God found fault with them. So verse 10, this is talking about the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and I will write them 
on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach his neighbor, his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of the greatest, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first covenant obsolete. Boy, we need to catch that, that the old covenant has been made obsolete. And what else? And but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Yes, and it doesn't seem to have disappeared for 2,000 years. It still seems to be going strong in the Christian community, but the fact is the old covenant is over. The old covenant where we as humans try and attain the standard of excellence that God wanted is over. We couldn't do it, and he made this new covenant, and he said, I'll write my statutes in their heart, and I will cause them to live in my ways. And it's, it, 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 this is where you, you need a little bit of the Greek wording in there because in the Greek Septuagint, it actually says, and you won't have to teach each one to know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord from the least to the greatest. It really should read because of the the Greek wording from each one. You don't have to teach each one of us to know as in experience the Lord. What's the Greek word? Gnosis. Epinosis. I think it's just gnosis, which is an experience. Yes. The same gnosis that they said, Abraham, gnosis. Sarah, and they bore a child. That's that experiential gnosis. Yeah, and the Hebrew is pretty intimate to know someone. Yes, yes. So it says you won't have to teach them how to experience the Lord for everyone will, in what's the next Greek word? Edo. Edo. Everyone will see the Lord from the least to the greatest. You'll be able to see God manifesting himself through Bill or anybody in your circle of influence. Right now, for me, I'm watching God talk through Bill, but you can see God talk through any one of your family members or co-workers or best friends as they express the words of Jesus and it teaches you how to notice Jesus all through the epistles, something that we will go through extensively and we already have in the past podcasts. You can learn to see God by his activity and know that you're speaking to God. If they're acting like exemplary Christians, you're seeing God through them. If they're acting like yahoos, 
you're not. You're seeing the edemic nature of their own human effort trying to please you. But he says, in this new covenant, I will put my spirit in them, it says in Jeremiah. I will give them a new spirit and a new heart. And that is what they'll experience. In other words, he's saying, I will make a new covenant. And in that new covenant, I will put my spirit in you and it will cause you to walk in my statutes and be able to fulfill the commandments. Do you remember Romans 8, 4? All the righteous requirements of the law will be fully met in us who do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the Spirit's power. That's the essence of the new covenant that Paul is talking about in Romans 8. That's all new covenant thinking that I'll rely on this spirit. That's what he said. I'll make a new covenant with you and I'll put my spirit in you and it will do for you what you can't do for yourself. It will uphold the righteous requirements of the law, that spirit that I put in you. If we do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the spirit, it will fulfill everything that the law requires. It will fulfill everything that your wife or your husband requires or your co-workers or anybody else that's in your circle of influence. Walking by that spirit, walking by this new covenant, walking by the spirit will allow you to blossom in front of the people that are around you, trying to resurrect that old covenant or walking by your human nature trying to please the people around you will fall short again because that's what the old covenant was there to do to prove to you that you can't attain the excellence that your wife or friends or brothers or God requires of you. But in this new covenant, this merciful, beautiful new covenant that God said I'll make that we should all be living in and I want you guys to live in it. If we can all live in this new covenant where the spirit does for us what we can't do for ourselves, it becomes a beautiful thing. The Christian life becomes a beautiful life again. I know it did for me. All you have to do is get that old covenant mentality out of yourself and bask in the new covenant. And that's what we're going to look at because we're seeing that he said he'll put his spirit in us. And we're going to look at the scriptures that show us how he put the spirit in us. I like that, that it says no longer will we need to teach anyone or his neighbor to know the Lord, for they shall see the Lord. It's kind of like what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the, the born of the Spirit, is it's like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see the effects. And when I see Gray Scar Dogs Steve doing kind things and not being selfish and ornery and cranky, but loving people, I know I'm not seeing Guard Dog Steve. I'm seeing the Spirit's activity 
in Steve. Because I am an ordinary, cranky person when it comes down to it. Just try as, as hard as I can not to be. Now, if I was to tell Steve, if I was to teach Steve, Steve, you need to be like Jesus and be kind and, and compassionate. And Should I try harder? Try harder. Okay. I will Did just not. see Steve's flesh. And I don't want to see Steve's flesh. I don't want to see his nature outside of the spirit. But you don't have to teach someone to know this. People see it and it's contagious. They it want it. They want to live like it. And you want it. When the spirit is manifesting through you, it's great to the people around you. But it's also, wow, it's an amazing experience, I guess you could say. Just say yes or no to this question. Did we not wholeheartedly want to be and act and be just like our mentor was? Yes. Yes. We did. Yes, we did. That guy was so full of the spirit. That's why he was so gentle and kind and forgiving to us. Because it was the spirit coming through the guy. The guy had learned to depend on the spirit and he manned the fested the spirit to Bill and I and we couldn't get enough of it. We were constantly bothering this guy over the phone and any other way we could to get around him because it was evident that he was just a cut above. He had the spirit. I think I only saw him angry at one thing and that was legalism. Yeah. He would lose it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Okay, we're, we're, we're saying that there's this new covenant and he puts his spirit within us. Let's just look at how he does that because that's the title to the podcast, which the title of the podcast was Christ is born. Amen. In you. Christ is born in you. We're not talking about his first birth in the manger, but this second birth in which all started at the book of Acts with Peter going out on that balcony. And I think we should begin there. At the beginning, yeah. Yeah, because we were the mangers Christ landed in. Okay, let's land in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1 in before before we get there, just let me say Jesus had already told a few days ago, he told the disciples to wait at this certain location till the Holy Spirit comes and lands on you. It comes upon you. It's coming from heaven down to you. So go wait at this certain building for it to come. And here in chapter two, we see that here's the day. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of the disciples." And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And then it says, 
the Jews from every other nation heard that rushing wind because it evidently was loud enough for the whole city to hear it like a tornado or something. Very big rushing wind, not a little thing, something huge and colossal. But the whole city ran to where the disciples were in that upper room and Peter goes out on the balcony and starts speaking and each person from around the world who was there could hear in his own language what Peter was saying. But Peter goes on to give them the gospel and in chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off, as many as the Lord shall call to himself. He said this gift is for everybody, basically. And he says, that's what you saw. You saw the gift of the Holy Spirit come upon us apostles and if you believe this gospel, repent, be baptized. And what does it say next? That about 3,000 people were born again. And born again means flesh gives birth to flesh. Human parents give birth to human parents. But spirit gives birth to spirit. The spirit that landed in those disciples began to give birth to spirits in these people of the crowd that was around the disciples. And 3,000 people received that spirit. They were impregnated with that spirit. That's why Paul could say, I'm again in the pains of childbirth till Jesus is formed on you, in you. Tell me Paul didn't realize that he had given birth to a a spirit. That's why he always called the people around him, my children. My children do this. My children do that. Because he he was the father. Paul said, "You you have many tutors in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. For I fathered you through the gospel. I, in Christ, I, in Christ, fathered you through the gospel, meaning Christ in him gave birth to a spirit in the other person, and Paul got credit for fathering the person. Christ impregnated the other person when Paul spoke the gospel, through the gospel. That's why in James it says, in exercise of his will, he caused you to be born again through the gospel. Bill, can, can you actually get that little passage for me? I want to make sure I got the words right. I know one thing, it says in exercise of his will, he chose to give you birth. That's in James 1? Yep. It is James 1. I'm going to start at 16. 17 is the verse you were talking about. 
Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above. We've been talking about gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth, or gave birth, as it says in some, by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind, a type of first fruits. All right, just like the people around Peter when he gave out the gospel, that's the word of truth is described in James, the word of truth or the gospel. When he gave them the gospel, the spirit gave birth to Jesus. That's the title of the podcast. Jesus is born in you. Right there on the day of Pentecost, Jesus began to be born in you. And who are you going to let live the Christian life for the rest of your days? Are you going to try in your own determination and your own capabilities or lack thereof in your own will live the Christian life or are you going to do what Jesus said and come unto him all who are weary and heavy laden and he will give you rest he will take the burden for himself because he says my burden is, is light my yoke is weak and my burden is light. He will live the Christian life for you. Who do you want to choose? Do you want to choose yourself and, and stay under that Ten Commandment mentality? Or do you want to let Jesus take control actually depend on Jesus to take control and live the new covenant life. Remember, he found fault with the old covenant. We couldn't do it. Your parents and your brothers and sisters and co-workers will find fault with you because you can't do it. But guess what? Jesus can he can live an exemplary life through you. And that's the essence of the new covenant. That's the distinguishing mark between the old covenant and the new covenant. The new covenant, we depend on Jesus and we give him the glory for what he does through us. We give him the glory for what he does through us. It's very, very important in this new covenant. I think it's cool that Acts chapter 3 is mostly to do with the Jews and the people that were under the law. But later on in chapter 10, Peter has this vision about unclean animals and called nothing unclean make a long story short he's saying go to the Gentiles and it says an angel sent him to the house of Cornelius and it says I will give you words to speak 
and it says the words fell upon the Gentiles and they got born again. Oh man, that is too cool, Bill. I'm the glad the you same dynamic that, up. that happened in Acts three happened to the Gentiles, and it all happened when it just says he spoke words. This the word. and the words fell on them, and the Spirit was in the word, and they were born again. Didn't Jesus do a parable about? The seed is the word, and the word was cascaded on good soil or three different types of soil. The, the word is that seed, and the word is what gets you born again and gets you started living in the new covenant. And we give the word, just like it says in James, humbly accept the word planted in you. And I believe it says, which is able to save you. It does. It does say that, right? Which is able to save you. Save you each and every day of your life because it already saved you from hell at the cross. But save you each and every day of your life from futility, from failure, from letting your friends down. It saves you from that. The word that is humbly implanted in you does that for you and you give that word the credit I can't tell you how important in the new covenant because that's what we're describing for you right now is the parameters of the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant where you gave yourself credit and God said okay I'll bless you for that good job done now we know that it's God through us doing the good. So we practice the truth. We give God the credit. That's what practicing the truth is. That's what it talks about in John chapter 3 about practicing the truth. It says, those who practice the truth come to the light so it may be clearly seen that the works that were done were done by God. Do you get that? Those who practice the truth come to the light so it can be clearly seen that what has been done has been done by God. Because in 1 Corinthians 3, it's going to tell you about a judgment that you can either have wood, hay, and stubble or fine jewelry, and there's going to be a fire that tests it. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it burns up. If it's fine jewelry refined by the fire, it's a treasure that you can keep in heaven. And by giving God the credit, you produce the jewelry that makes it through the fire, and you store up treasures in heaven. That's what it meant when it said, and practicing the truth, those who practice the truth, those who give God the credit, come to the light on that 1 Corinthians 3 judgment day and say, here's all, all my works. Test them in the fire because I gave you credit for every one of them. And they make it through the fire as costly jewelry. Do you see the concept of the new covenant? We have a new covenant where 
we are not being tested anymore because the old covenant tested us and found us to fall short and prove to us that we fall short. And we we were wood, hay, and stubble. We, that's all we produced in the old covenant. And we live in this new covenant now that God mercifully gave us where he said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and cause you to be a blessing to the people around you. And you give that spirit in you the credit and store up treasures for yourself in heaven. That's the just of the new covenant. That's the new covenant that we live in if we don't have it all mixed up and confused. But if we're clear about it, we're to rely on the Spirit and give the Spirit the credit. If it's good and clear in our mind, that's what we do. I was thinking of, was it Peter that said you've been born again, not from a perishable seed? Yes. But an imperishable, indestructible? Yes. It means the same thing. Just how Jesus said, you know, the Spirit is like the wind. You, you see the effects and and what Peter said about just words came over and you saw the effects. It was it was the spirit. After a hurricane, you see the the flattened town and no one says, what does they say? A hurricane went through here. Yes. Why? Because you see the effects. No one actually saw the hurricane. It's invisible wind. But there was no doubt that a hurricane came through here. And there's no doubt in a Christian's life when you see the effects of the spirit you can you just say no doubt that guy was filled with the spirit when he did that no Great no person could possibly achieve the things that person did yes great analogy bill great analogy you you can roll with it more if you want but you, that was well said and that's what the new covenant is it's doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And we see the, the effects. What was the essence of the new covenant? No longer shall we teach a neighbor, teach each man his neighbor to know the Lord, for they all shall see the Lord from the least to the greatest. And it's it's like the hurricane analogy. You don't you don't really see it, but it is obvious that it was done by the wind or the spirit. Who was the first person to practice the truth and give credit to God? Didn't Jesus himself say, hey, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you doubt it, just believe in the works themselves that are being done. It's the Father doing his work through me. That's what Jesus himself said. That's speaking and acting as somebody in the new covenant who knows that it's the Spirit doing it through them, who has tried, tried, tried all their life and always fallen short only to have a change. That's the second no in the verse we started out on. You no longer shall a man teach his neighbor to know the Lord, for they all shall know me. It's basically no longer shall he teach his neighbor to experience God, for they all shall see God. And that's what Jesus said to, was it Peter? He said, have I been with you so long? Don't you know that if you've seen me, Edo, you've seen the Father, Edo, you've seen the Father. When you see Steve doing amazing 
acts of kindness and not losing his temper, you've seen the Holy Spirit in, in Steve. And you don't have to teach people. I say, I boldly say this, and you can check up on me when I say this, but I am telling you now, the New Testament is replete, it's saturated, it is full of people giving the credit to God through them. The epistles are full of credit going to God through them. I thank God that you are wholeheartedly practicing the truth as I taught you. Who did he thank? He thanked God. On and on it goes with sightings of who shall separate me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my human nature, Paul says. The wishing to do good is in me, but the doing of good is not. And then he says, all the requirements of the law will be fully met by those who walk according to the Spirit's power and not walk according to human effort. Constantly giving the credit over to the Spirit. And I just hope that this idea of the new covenant clearly clearly takes a hold of you, takes hold of you, and you become, by God's power and God working in you to will and do his good pleasure, you become addicted and dependent on the Spirit of God to live through you. Because when you're experiencing the Spirit of God, you're actually experiencing heaven on earth. And you can look at Romans 14, 17, if you want to see the passage that says you're experiencing heaven on earth. But for tonight, I think it's time to close. Do you want me to close us in prayer? Or do you want to close us in prayer? I'll close this. I was just thinking about that verse. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Father God. Thank you for your indescribable gift. Thank you that you came down in a manger. You came to our lowest, lowest point so we would have your life from above. Just thank you, Father God, for your indescribable gift. Bless all the guardians of grace. I just have a spirit of thankfulness. It's just very humble this morning to think that you would take up residence in me what a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Good night. Yes, Lord, thank you for not only being born in a manger, but also coming back and being born in me because you sure have changed my life. And I know Bill can say the same. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do through us each and every day. Thank you guys for listening. God bless. We love you. We love you guys.